Good evening. Right, good morning. Uh, I praise God for this moment again to um, be teaching you all, giving you all um, information uh, concerning the intertestamental period. And um, um, last week, um, I went over, you know, just giving you information, and this allowed us to see that um, during the intertestamental period, um, we kind of debunked that myth that we've been taught for years that uh, the intertestamental period was um, was uh, was silent, and that um, we realized that there were a, there was a lot of activity that went on um, during that time, and um, we went through a series of events um, to show. Um, how God was still active amongst his people. And um, that it was called the, the Dark Ages as well. Um, it was a dark moment for Israel. Um, they lost their identity. Uh, we went through, we started with, uh, with Babylon and worked our way down through the four nations that uh, took over um, Israel and we noticed that every time that they uh, were taken over by a nation, they converted or they conformed to paganism and to the, the ways of the Gentiles rather than them being the light for the Gentiles. And uh, Jeremiah, we went through the, the prophet Jeremiah when he told them when you um, when you go into the land and when you go into captivity to go ahead and live amongst your brothers and uh, marry, live, live amongst them. And the idea was for them to be an influence for the pagans and for the Gentiles, but they allowed the world to influence them. And you've seen that, you've seen that pattern. Every time they uh, were under a, a new rule, that they conformed to that, to the world. And I believe that's still going on now as the church. For some reason, we are, we are conforming to the world. We're changing our ways, and, and we are, uh, our churches look so worldly inside. And that's our, our tactic, our evangelism tactic to try to get the world rather than the world, rather than the church going out to get the world. We're trying to make the church comfortable for the world. And now you see the pattern where it came from. Whereas the, the people of God supposed to be the influence, but the world became the influence on the people of God. And so, um, and so that was just an enlightening moment. That was illumination that God has um, given unto us. And so um, it's important, we, we um, express the importance of looking back at Jewish history to know Jewish thought and to understand how they thought at that time and the scriptures and the um, literature that were influencing them at the time, um, the temperature of, of, of the time, what was going on. And so that um, learning that helps us to interpret scripture accurately and allow us to know um, what they thought at that time and what the scripture meant to them at that time. And so um, this week, um, I am going to, let's see here. Um, it says, now that we have discussed, now that we have discussed the comparison between the first and second temple Judaism errors. Remember last week we, we talked about um, the first temple was Solomon's temple. Remember, we talked about different times. And so now we know dispensation, we know covenants, and now we know temple. And so the first temple is Solomon's temple. Second temple is Zerubbabel's temple. And then the third, sometimes you'll see third, which is Herod's temple, which is the same temple but rehabbed and glamorous now. <laughs> and so... Uh, when you see that in commentary and in literature, now you, now you have an idea of what they're talking about. 
And so the first temple dealt with religion and rituals. The second temple was focused more on the teaching of the Torah. Okay, that was the focus, that was the difference between um, both temples. And so now we will turn our attention to the literature of the second temple, uh, Judaism era. Most Christians are surprised to learn that the literature that informed Jews in the times of Jesus and his apostles can be found today in many more sources besides the Protestant New Testament scripture. I don't think we as believers, we were never taught that there is um, additional literature um, inside of our own scripture. Um, you know, in, in the scripture, we're going to look at various books that we don't even have in our Bible, such as the Maccabees and Enoch and all that stuff. And it's quoted. It's inside of our Bible. We don't know it. Yeah, it's in our scriptures and we, we don't know it. And so uh, one may ask yourself, well, then why is it in there? And how come we don't have it? and what's going on, and et cetera, et cetera. So we're gonna kinda, I'm gonna give you kind of an intro to the other literature. I'm not gonna go deep, because um, it can cause a lot of harm, um, especially if you're not um, strong in the Old Testament. Um, so for me to give you all blah, 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 you know, just hammering down on so much knowledge, so much knowledge can be hurtful especially when, you're, when you don't have the capacity to take it. You can cause somebody just to you know, get frustrated and just tune out. So I'm going to kind of give an intro to it and then show you all some examples in scripture of where you, know, where you can find it and all that sorts. Um, we talked about last week the different sects that, um, that came up during the, the intertestamental period time um, we've been talking a lot about the Sadducees and the Pharisees. I think, um, I think we understand now, you know, where they came from. Um, the Essene community is the community um, that was at Qumran. And um, this is the community that they believe that John the Baptist had association with. And so um, this, this community was formed during the time of the Second Temple era when the um, priestly, the priesthood was corrupted. Um, remember that um, the way they chose the priest, they had to be from the line of Aaron. And, it be, and that role became very political and very controlled by the government. And now it was to the highest bidder or the popular vote. And so that was corrupted. And so a lot of the, the Jews didn't like that. And so that's how we got the different groups that we have. I think my new notes is in the family page. I try to post it real quick because um, I had a schedule, but it didn't post. So um, I hope it's in there. It is. <laughs> uh, I thought it was because I hit post. That's what took me so long to get to my position. Um, yes, it should be there. Yep, notes for Bible study nine three. Um, and so those are the those are the new notes. Um, let's see here. Um, the Herodians we know they were pro Herod, so they enforced Herod's policy and all that stuff. Um, the Zealots we know they were kind of radical. They were ready to fight at any moment. Um, <laughs> I think people like that the Zealots because we think we tough, but nah, not not like the Zealots. They they killed on spot. They, you know, if you find out you was a Roman, they will kill you, shank you, and just walk, walk away like normal. And so uh, the Zealots, um, like many other groups, they felt like they had to, when the Messiah comes, there was going to be this big revolt or this big fight or this apocalyptic fight. And so they had to be ready at all times. And that's why they carried a sword. And um, they didn't like the Romans. They didn't like the fact that, that, that the Romans were making the Jews pay taxes on the land that they own. And so they were ready to kill whoever was a Roman. Um, we got the priests. Um, you got the Judeans. Those are Israel, Israelites that, who live in Judah. And so the word Jew comes from Judeans. It doesn't come from the word Jewish. It comes from Judeans or Judites. 
Actually, Jew, the word Jew is a derogatory term for the Israelites. And now they have adopted, just like the word Christianity, adopted as something po- you know, positive or whatever. But it's, a, it's offensive. It was offensive to them. And now you know, it's common to call them a Jew, but it was, it was offensive. And the short is a Judean or Judite. Um, we know the Galileans and the diaspora. The diaspora are those Jews or the Israelites who lived, um, lived beyond the Holy Land, so lived um, around the world. And they were scattered when they were in captivity. Remember when, um, when Jeremiah told them to go and live amongst the, the Gentiles, a lot of them kind of just scattered after they were released from Cyrus, a lot of them didn't come back to the Holy Land. Remember we talked about that? A lot of them just kind of scattered and that is considered the diasporan Jews, okay? So when, let me see here. Okay, so you might have to look at your phone for this one. Um, this is a relationship between the, um, between the different literature. And so um, I want you to look kind of towards at the bottom, it says Dead Sea Scrolls Library. And that is um, a um, literature that was from the Qumran community. Um, they covered um, in, their, in, their, um, in their literature, in their library, they covered from Genesis to about 70 AD. And they started writing it about 200 BC, okay? Um, and so, while Jesus was living, they were recording events. So this is kind of like the in-your-face literature that's pretty, that's pretty much accurate. And this literature was found in 1947. So 60 years ago, they found the Qumran library in their caves. Yes, over in Qumran, they found uh, uh, scrolls of literature. They found an original copy of the Hebrew Bible, the Hebrew uh, Old Testament scriptures. They found the Apocrypha scriptures. They found Pseudepigrapha scriptures, and they found what is called the sectarian scriptures. That is the way of living for um, the Qumran community. And so they had the idea too that when the Messiah comes, we gotta be ready. And so they hid their scriptures in caves. And they hit them real good, apparently, <laughs> for them not to find it for about 1,900 years. They hid them in caves. And then when they went into the caves, they found stockpiles of weapons because why? They were ready to fight at any time. And so uh, we're going to talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls a little bit more, but I just wanted to give you that intro. And then at the bottom of it, it says the Apocrypha books. That covers between 1000 BC to about 70 AD as well. And 1000 BC is around um, David's time. So you got Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Those are, those are called um, the technical term for Joshua, Judges, Ruth, and First and Second Samuel and Kings. You'll see some called Deuterocanonical books. You'll say it in, in yeah, you'll see it in the comment. <laughs> Deutero and then canonical. That's all. My Lord. And you'll, you'll see that, <laughs> that was Hebrew, I guess. Uh, you'll see that in, in commentary. You'll see that. They'll mention the Deuterocanonical. Now you know what that is. That is Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Kings. Those are, yeah, they do. They will say it. And so now, now you know, okay? And so that covers between uh, 100 B.C. to 70 A.D., okay? It ain't, it ain't the devil, <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I forgot to, to mention because last week people wanted to ask questions and they they didn't feel they didn't want to be rude and to you know raise a hand. But if you have any questions at any time, you know you could raise your hand and ask questions. We had a lot of questions after class, so that was a good. I know it. That's why I'm like make sure she is in my peripheral vision. <laughs> uh, we had some really good questions last week after class, so I want to make sure that you all have the opportunity to ask questions. So. Uh, yeah, make sure this is this is TLC. This is TLC live, live TLC. <laughs> so I have to remember, make sure to ask questions and give time, you know, for people to think and all that stuff. 
So anytime, just raise your hand. I'm gonna try to make sure I break to make sure to ask if anybody have any questions of that sort. So, all righty, let's, let's get into it. All right. All right, so we're gonna get into um, some Jewish literature here. I'm just going to give you, like I said, just kind of an overview of it, show you all where it is in scripture, and we're just gonna keep it moving, okay? So um, the Hebrew scripture, so we are aware of the Septuagint, that is the Greek translation of scripture, okay? Um, it's a collection of Jewish texts in Greek that includes the Greek translation, translation of the Old Testament, as well as other Jewish writings, okay? It was mostly widely used um, Greek, uh, Greek version in antiquity, though other Greek versions also existed. So there was the Septuagint, and then there was like the Alexander Canon and all that stuff of scripture. But this is the scripture that they believe that Jesus had. This is the scripture that they believe that he read. And in that is the Old Testament, the Apocrypha, and what is called the pseudopigrapha um, books. I'm gonna go over that to tell you all what that is. But um, here's one reason why they thought um, Jesus had a copy of that because in John 10:22, you see Jesus participating in a festival that was only mentioned in the Septuagint. So um, John 22 says, at the time of the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem, it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple of the portico of Solomon. And the Feast of Dedication is located in 1 Maccabees, here, 1 Maccabees 4 and 59. And it says, then Judas and his brothers and all the assembly of Israel determined that every year at the season of the day of dedication of the altar should be observed with joy and gladness for eight days, beginning with the 25th day of the month of Kislev. So this is an example here of um, the reason why Jesus will have a copy of the Septuagint in his possession due to the fact that the, um, the Feast of Dedication is only mentioned in the Septuagint. Okay, and um, give me one second here because I need to, I want the PowerPoint slide in front of me. Um, and so, and um, that's the difference between First Temple and Second Temple era. Um, the Feast of Dedication is new. It's a new feast. It's a new festival, um, as well as the Feast of Purim. You guys heard of Feast of Purim, right? With Esther. Um, that's a that's a new feast day that they celebrate. Um, First Temple era, they had seven feast days that they celebrate. Um, you know, Passover. Uh, Feast of First um, Leavened Bread, I mean, uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of First Fruits, um, the, the other feast days as well, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Turah, and uh, Feast of Weeks. Those are the uh, feast days that, that was commanded for them to celebrate in First Temple. They still do it in First Temple, but they added other feast days, such as the Feast of Dedication and, and Purim, okay? Uh, here we go. All right, so that's an example there. The next one, let's see, another example is that there are terms in the New Testament, um, and I mean, I'm sorry, there are terms introduced in the New Testament that are not mentioned in the, Old, in the Old Testament. The word synagogue was not mentioned in the Old Testament, but was introduced in the apocryphal. Um, let's see here. Greek religious leaders such as the Pharisees and the Sadducees were never mentioned in the Old Testament, but it was introduced in the Apocrypha. And the Apocrypha is in the, uh, in the Septuagint. There we go. The um, synagogues came on play um, during Second Temple era. Remember when Ezra, when he um, got the people back to the city, he began to teach them scripture. Remember he set up a... Um, a stand in the middle of the town square and begin to read the scripture, read the Torah to the people. There started that new reformation of the focus of teaching. And so um, synagogues begin to pop up in um, various cities. So if you want the teachings of the Torah, you go to the synagogue to get teachings. We see that with Paul, we see that with Peter, them going to the synagogue to teach. And so 
the, the term synagogue, it, it developed during the uh, second, temple, uh, second Temple period. Okay, and, then, and of course the word Pharisees and Sadducees, so we understand where that came from as well. And it says, you can read them in the book of Barak and Tobiah. Talks about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, okay? All righty. I did something. Lord have mercy. All right. Um, the next one is the, yeah, you got a question? Go ahead. No, I do not. I don't, I do not. Maybe someone want to look that up real quick, but I don't have a, um, oh, okay. Amen, students. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a, a, a word for that one. But that is a good question to ask. What does the word synagogue mean? If you didn't hear her question online. So they're looking that up now. All right. Oh, a place to go teach. Oh, okay. You know. Right, right. Okay, a place where you go teach. So, <laughs> you know, simple as that. So, uh, teaching center. Amen. All right. So, let's see here. The next word is apocrypha. So, the Old Testament apocrypha, also called the deuterocanonical books, are a subset of the text found in the Septuagint, um, though not in the Hebrew Bible. Okay, they were accepted as authoritative, patristic, and medieval um, Christians, and I can't see it. And included the Vulgate. So, um, and remember, I mentioned last week that in the early um, copies of the King James Bible, you will see the apocryphal scriptures. And also, if you, um, if you get a Bible in, in Europe today, and if you're a Christian in Europe, you will have the apocryphal scriptures in there. In America, you don't have them. Because when they brought the scripture over to America, they took the apocryphal out. Okay? So that's why we, we don't have it. Okay? There was nothing wrong with it. They just took it out. So that, that should tell you, that should tell you something. Yeah, you can go on BibleGateway.com. That's what I use when, I, when I'm reading scripture. And I use a certain version. It's called New Revised Standard Catholic Edition. And you can see all of the apocryphal books. Yep, yep. You can, you can buy it in the store. I think, Tammy, didn't you buy an apocryphal Bible? Or I thought you did. I thought you was, oh, you was looking at one. Okay, you didn't make that jump. <laughs> I don't blame you because I remember when I first was introduced to these, I was like, should I buy one? And the people at church was telling me, no, don't buy that scripture. You ain't supposed to be reading all that stuff. And I'm a rebel, I guess. So I bought it anyways just because they said don't do it. So, yeah, you can find on Amazon. I found mine's at a, a half price for $10, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, you don't have to get it. You don't have to read it. And I'm explaining why. Uh, in, in, in a moment. And I said, you know, I said in the beginning that adding too much to your, to your plate, especially if you are still learning about the Old Testament and all that stuff, adding more is, is really going to be hurtful. It's, it's going to be confusing because a lot of the Apocrypha deals with the Old Testament and it's a level that as an American believer, we just don't have yet. Because that's why you got to keep on studying, keep on learning about the culture so you can, so the Lord can increase your capacity and things like this won't overwhelm you. I was in a class where we, we were told to read a book called Baal and the Dragon, and that's a book in the Apocrypha. And that thing, I was like, uh-uh. <laughs> and there was nothing wrong with it, but it was just so much. It was just like, wow. He was like, yeah, you got you to gotta know about this type of Jewish culture. You got to know about this in order to understand. It was just like, wow. So I wasn't ready for it yet, but it, it's, it's good stuff, though. All right. Yep, go ahead. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, the question is that um, as a teacher, do you think you um, think that this is beneficial uh, for the way that you teach and, and all that stuff? Is that right? Okay. Um, when it comes to the apocryphal books, um, when it comes to the Gospels, um, it helps with understanding Jesus' teaching. Um, because um, he alludes back, he quotes from the Old Testament, but at the same time, he's addressing um, apocryphal scriptures. He's addressing um, what we're going to talk about later is the Qumran documents. Um, it's the uh, documents of the community or the Damascus documents. He will allude to that when talking to them. And he will allude to that when talking some, to some of the Pharisees as well. Um, and so that helped me to understand what Jesus was talking about. Okay. And, um, but to, to just know the Old Testament is fine. That's fine. Um, but um, if you want to, I guess, go deeper into that thing, you know, you can, you can study that. But I, 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 uh, I thank God for teachers <laughs> that can help you navigate uh, teachers and, and spiritual guides that can help you navigate through these difficult scriptures. Because the Old Testament can be difficult if you don't have the proper tools to navigate and so, um, go ahead. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the what he said was it's important to have a foundation before go before going so far. Um, into reading all the, the mystery books and all that stuff. Because I had people say, oh, you know, I got a copy of, of the Septuagint, or I got the copy of this, but, but they don't understand the Old Testament. So it's just like, you know, I'm not judging, but I just judge what you just did. But um, <laughs> I'm judging your judgments. <laughs> and they, they're so excited to hear things that you don't hear in church and all that stuff, but I'm like, you got to understand A, B, C, D. <laughs> You know, you got to understand the foundational stuff. So that's the process that we've been doing these last few months. And I guess it'll be almost a year because I taught the first class introduction to the Bible in November. So that's November's coming up. So it's been about a year since we've been doing um, foundational teachings. And uh, once you, you know, get that foundational teachings, then you're able to layer on and add more and more and all of a sudden, you know, your capacity begins to increase, and taking it in won't be so overwhelming. You got to go slow, you know. You don't have to speed up the process, okay, because illumination is controlled by the Holy Spirit, period. You can read books and books and books, but he won't connect it until he, he knows that you're ready and your motive is ready. Because your, mo your motive could be, I want to know all this so, so I, I can, uh, right, you know what I'm saying? I can, it's pr just pride, so I can outsmart somebody and I'm going to know more of the teaching and blah, 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 blah. And so the Lord, the, the Holy Spirit won't do the illumination because your, your motive is wrong. But if you want to know this information because I want the mind of Christ, I want to be transformed, I want to be like Jesus Christ, and you're going to be like, okay, I'm going to move you. He's going to start moving you. As long as you keep on reading, as long as you keep on studying, as long as you keep leaning and depending on him, that light is just going to keep on. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to be able to walk in truth. Yep. 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 So. All right. That was good. That was good, y'all. All right. Let's see here. If y'all haven't been to TLC, welcome. <laughs> All right, let's go to the, okay, so this one here is a list of the apocryphal books that, um, that are available out there, okay? Um, Tobit, Judith, Additions to Esther, The Wisdom of Solomon, Sirach, or Ecclesiasticus, Barak, The Epistle of Jeremiah, so not the book of Jeremiah, the Epistle of Jeremiah, Additions to Daniel, um, the prayer of Azariah, 
the song of three young men, Susanna and Baal and the dragon. You got first and second Maccabees that we talked about. Okay, the next one, next list, is first and second Ezra. So like Ezra, but it's called Ezra or something like that. The D is probably silent, I don't know. Um, the prayer of Manasseh, Psalm 151. Instead of us, we have 150. There is one more Psalm out there. <laughs> Why we ain't got that one Psalm? But here we go. <laughs> <laughs> right, praise ye the Lord. It's one more praise. One more praise ye the Lord. <laughs> so in addition to the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible and what later become known as the Apocrypha, the Septuagint also includes. So the, when you see LXX, that's Septuagint. Okay, you'll see that in commentary. They'll, instead of saying Septuagint, they will say LXX. Okay, the Septuagint also includes certain copies, the books of Maccabees 3 and 4, First Ezra, um, the Psalm of Solomon, instead of the songs, it's the Psalm of Solomon, and then Odes of Solomon, including the Prayer of Manasseh. Okay, so those are the apocryphal books that are out there. Okay, yep. <laughs> so we we call we call it a book. Right, so epistle is a letter. Right. Yeah, like the epistles of Paul. Pauline epistles, letters, yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -mm. It's probably different. You might want to look and see. It's probably different. It's probably different. Yep. The apocryphal? Probably so. So you have to look and see if it's the same. Books, yeah. Yeah. He's talking about paper books. Yeah, paper Bibles. Yeah, so you might want to look and see if it's the same or not, but yep, 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 yep. Um, that reminds me when you said when you click on it and it might take you to a lot of commentaries, they don't, they don't subscribe to the Apocrypha. And so they won't quote it in their in their writings and all that stuff but um you'll you'll sometimes you'll you'll have um, resources especially online resources if you click on the little subscript and you click on it it will say like Sirach or something like that now you know what that is that's the apocryphal book I think <laughs> Wayman was telling me the book of James he quotes a lot of the the apocryphal books he was like do you think I should quote that I said uh-uh uh-uh don't you quote that in your sermon <laughs> Wisdom of Solomon, yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Some people, some you can't click on it and read it, but some they won't. They won't link you to it. But you can read it. You can. It's out there. Just got to do some searching. Okay. So I wanted to give you all an example of the apocrypha book, uh, one of the pseudepigrapha books that is in our Bible. So if you go to Jude. Chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, it quotes Enoch. Wild waves of the sea casting upon the foam of their own shame, wandering stars from whom the deepest darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, saying, See, the Lord is coming with tens of thousands of his holy ones. Right there. 
and no one really pays attention to it because it's just one little chapter of Jude, you know, of Jude. So right there, they quote Enoch. And Enoch, I've, I've read Enoch, and it's, it's no joke. But it's, re it's really good. It's very uh, apocalyptic heavy, the end of times heavy. I know, <laughs> Toya kept asking all these end of time questions last week, but it's good. Like, it's good, it's good stuff or whatnot. So there's an example that is in our Bible, okay? So the term pseudepigrapha that I just mentioned, it means falsely attributed writings. So what it means is that someone wrote these scriptures, but they put another name on it. So say they wrote these scriptures and then they put Tracy's name on it instead of their own. But that was a common thing to do in, 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 yeah, in that day, especially with scribes. They were hired to, to write you know, and copy and all that stuff. So they will write and copy stuff. And um, instead of putting their name on it, they will put someone famous or someone that they will, you know, that uh, has a, uh, that has credit or whatever, uh, you know. So they put Solomon, the wisdom of Solomon was not technically um, written by Solomon. Like the oldest of Solomon, they say it wasn't technically written by him or whatnot. So, um, so don't, don't don't uh, let falsely attributed writings trip you up, because right. <laughs> that was that was common <laughs> that they did. Uh, because when you read parts of Deuteronomy, Moses ain't write all of Deuteronomy, cause he died. How he gonna write after the fact? You're right. How he gonna write after the fact? You didn't make it. <laughs> you know he made it to the the what was it the east side of the promised land. He didn't make it to the, the, the west side. And so, right, right, yeah. He, at, people think he didn't make it to the promised land, but he did. He was at the Transjordan that was part of the promised land. He actually made it, but he didn't make it to the other side. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Deuteronomy wasn't written all by Moses, but they said it was written by Moses. But when you start peeling back and stuff, you begin to see the writings change and all that stuff. The, the tone of the writing begin to change. But it doesn't take away the sacredness, doesn't take the, um, the inspiration of scripture by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't take that away because the Holy Spirit knew exactly what he was doing. And so that's the part that we got to keep in our forefront, the inspiration of scripture and how that inspiration process works. Okay. Um, let's see here. It's a diverse body of Jew, a diverse body of ancient Jewish works, many of which claim to be authored by famous Old Testament persons, although they did not write them. Okay. The next one is rabbinic literature. So uh, some of you all may heard of the Mishnah or the Talmud, um, Babylonian Talmud or the tar, um, Targumum, and a ver variety of other writings. So when Jesus is saying, um, uh, uh, you, uh, dang, the scripture just left my head. Uh, uh, you, you obey the, the traditions of men, then to obey the Father's command. The traditions of men he considers was rabbinic literature um, because they exalted that above the law. There was nothing really wrong with, with the rabbinic literature, it's the fact that, they, that it that they exalted above the law. Um, and so you'll, you'll, see, you'll see Jesus always coming against that and trying to show them what the law says instead or whatnot. And so then you'll see um, that's kind of like looking at it in a negative light. There's nothing wrong with it, but they exalted it above, above the law. And Paul, when he was on trial, he said, I don't even know why you guys arrested me. I follow the, um, the, the ways of men. And he's talking about the, the rabbinic literature, the Mishnah, the Talmud, or whatnot. And those, um, those the Mishnah and the Talmud, um, they were written in 200 AD. So after all of the, um, the first century, you know, uh, development of the church, the first hundred years of the church or whatever, it came on later. And so how, you may ask, like, well, how did they know the Mishnah and the Talmud if it wasn't written until later? Because they had oral tradition. That was, that was common um, for them to, 
to speak. So, so imagine if someone comes in and goes to the book of Genesis and they're just repeating it because it's in them. You know, this is, this is the advantage of the Jews because their, their K through 12 is Bible, is Old Testament. So they did this every day. Our disadvantage is we don't read, we don't do, we don't study every day. So we got to do more work. So they know about rabbinic literature. They know about Old Testament scriptures. They know about the apocrypha and pseudepigrapha. They know it because it was their K through 12. And they had seminaries as well. They had schools of Hillel and schools of Shammai and all that stuff. The schools that um, Paul went to, you know, he was very studious. He was part, I think it was the Shammai, I think it was Shammai school that he was a part of. But um, they, they met every day and taught these scriptures and things like that. So um, it was very, it was very, it was in them. But they were applying it wrong, according to Jesus. So <laughs> Jesus had to come in and teach them the ways of the law. Okay? All righty here. Oh, oh, that's my favorite part. Okay, so here is an example of literature that we don't have a copy of today, but they quoted it in scripture. Okay, so in the book of Numbers, Moses alludes to a book called the Book of Wars. In the book of Judges, they quote from, from it as well. The Book of Wars, which apparently contained an anthology of poems describing victories of the Lord over the enemies of Israel. The only extant piece contains a fragmented geographical note, which is very obscure. So in Numbers 21, 14 and 15, it said, Moses is talking, and he's saying, therefore it is said in the book of the wars of our Lord. And then he goes and Waheb and Safab and all that stuff. But the fact that he quotes from it is like, what is this book? What are you talking about, Moses? So... So, yeah, so that's an example of literature, un, I guess they would call it unknown literature or whatnot, and Moses quotes from it, okay? All righty. Um, here, Philo um, is, is, yeah. Oh, of course, Moses was very educated. Yeah, uh, Egypt is the city of knowledge. Yeah, and so um, <laughs> he ain't steal them, but when them books come, we talked about that, <laughs> that God gave his, his word first to the people, but they twisted it, so he had to raise up another people. <laughs> but this book is about the victories of Israel, though, so yeah, that's, yeah, so we don't know where that came from, so um, the next one is historical literature. So Philo, you may have heard of Philo. I know you guys heard of Josephus because we, we quote from him. Um, there's another one, Pliny, Pliny the Elder and um, Socrates and all that stuff. So these, this is called non-biblical literature. So diasporan Jew influenced by, by um, Platonism uh, from Alexandria, Egypt. Philo authored numerous philosophical treaties and exegetical studies of the Pentateuch. Second are the books of the historian Josephus, okay? Um, you can read Philo's work. You can actually read Josephus' work um, at a site called earlyjewishwritings.com. And it's a whole list of writings. You can find the Apocrypha. You can find uh, uh, earlyjewishwritings.com simple as that. Yeah. And so you're able to pull up some scriptures, I mean, some books and just read or whatever. Um, Josephus' history is very interesting, even though a lot of people rely on, he's, he was a historian who was a Jew, but was a traitor. He, uh, he was a traitor to Rome. Um, he was about to be killed by, um, I think it was by Titus, King Titus or something like that. And he was like, well, well, I could be beneficial to you. I could write the history to make you look good. And so that's the way, <laughs> that's the way that uh, he spared his own life. And he was like, matter of fact, I could tell you where them, them, them Essenes live too. So he ratted the Essenes out and got them killed. Yeah. 
He was a snitch. Stitches, boy, I tell you. Stitches get stitches. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, biblical history is interesting. It is very interesting. You just got to make it fun or whatever. So, right, yeah. So, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So, he, he was the one that turned the, the Qumran community in. So, yep. All right. <laughs> uh, all right. The next one, this is the last one that I'm going to talk about here. Um, this The Dead Sea Scrolls. And we kind of talked about it a little bit. It says, that though the majority of scrolls discovered near Qumran, and I told you they just found it uh, about uh, 60 years ago, are ancient copies of the Old Testament or versions of the apocryphal and pseudepigraphal writings. Example, Tobit, First Enoch, Jubilees. Many are sectarian documents, works that describe how the Dead Sea community originate and was organized and how members of the community should live and worship. Okay, so it kind of looks like this, kind of it's kind of divided like this. So the Dead Sea Scrolls, they had, like I said, the Old Testament, the apocryphal books, and they had what was called the sectarian books, and that was the rules of the community or Damascus um, Damascus covenant documents, hymns and calendars, and then they had non-biblical writings like the pseudepigraphal literature, biblical commentary like the, um, oh, I can't, I'm sorry, uh, like the biblical commentary and non-biblical sources. So they had, this is what they found in the caves, okay? And so the sectarian, that was the, the way of living. And so, um, so when you begin to really analyze Jesus's teachings, you begin to see that they were very similar to the rules of the community. And so, so people begin to ask, like, so did Jesus get this from them? Or was Jesus, Jesus teaching this to the uh, Essene community? Or was it just a coincidence that it's just they're very similar? Um, there's a passage, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 13, is very similar to the rules of the community. And so they were just like, wow. And so um, one, one thing that we have to understand when Jesus was teaching to um, different, different groups, he wasn't, he wasn't always in a corrective mode. Sometimes he was in a contrasting mode, or sometimes he was in a building mode. Um, what, they, what they know about the law was probably elementary, and so Jesus had to come in and tell them a little bit more and take them deeper into what that law really means, um, take them deeper into the mind of Christ. And um, sometimes he will compare and contrast, you know, you may heard it said, but I say. You'll see that a lot in scripture. You may heard it said, but I say, or whatever. So that's something to, to really um, keep in mind as well. Um, when looking at uh, the, the Qumran community and looking at John the Baptist. And he was, um, the, remember that the Qumran community existed before John the Baptist. And so it was a common in the culture to send your kid out to school, like boarding school. And so they believed that John the Baptist lived amongst the, uh, the Qumran community, okay? And so, you know, John the Baptist, remember, he was in line to be a priest, um, but uh, I, he, he was with the Qumran community. And I, I couldn't imagine as being a child or growing up and seeing my father be a part of a corrupt system. <laughs> and so we don't know if John the Baptist, he was there when he was younger or he got there maybe in his early 20s or so, but he was amongst the Qumran community who did not like the priests, who did not like um, mainstream Judaism. They didn't like it because it was corrupted, okay? And so they heard, but the word about John the Baptist got around to the various groups. And it was like, who is this guy pre, you know, teaching in the wilderness? That voice crying out in the wilderness. Now, the Qumran community believed that they were the voice, though, crying out in the wilderness. But they, but the people had their eye on John the Baptist. And so each group will send, they sent out representatives, two of each group. They'll send representatives out to the wilderness to hear the teaching. This, you know, they want to know, like, what is he out there teaching? What is he saying? 
they thought that he was the teacher of righteousness, which is quoted in Hosea, that they, this is what you'd be look, looking for as a teacher of righteousness. And um, it was quoted also, when I, when I looked up, this is the part that really kind of light bulb went off. When I looked up the teacher of righteousness, um, it is a, a position in the Qumran community who did all the teaching, right? And so this is the, the person that they, you know, think that will help them lead the way to the Messiah or whatnot. But um, in, in scripture, when you read about the teacher of righteousness, it's quoted in Hosea. And then when I kept clicking on it, Joel chapter 2, verse 23 kept popping up. Now, y'all remember on Saturday, we went to Joel, was it chapter 2, verse 23, and it talked about the latter and the former reign. But when you, I kept clicking on it, it was like a little subscript. It kept saying, also refer to the teacher of righteousness. And I'm like, what in the world? I was. I said, uh, good morning. <laughs> Where do you get that from? Uh, and so it was, it was with me all week long, and I'm, I was trying to figure that out. And so... The uh, with what ugh, can't even get my words together. Um, with that, when you look up the um, teacher of righteousness, and when it comes to the latter and the former reign, they um, I'm trying to pull it up here so I can um, read it because I I tried to memorize it, but it was just so so much. Um, it says that the reign spiritually designed the doctrine of the gospel, which is sometimes compared to reign. Because as rain, it comes from God, descends from heaven, is a divine gift, both as to the ministry and the experience of it. It tarries not for man, neither for his desires, nor deserts, falls according to divine direction, sometimes here and sometimes there. is a great blessing, and it brings many with it, revives, refresh, and makes fruitful. Jerome interprets these two reigns of first receiving of doctrine and of more perfect knowledge of it. So that's like getting information and then getting illumination from it, the former and the latter or whatever. So um, also with the two testaments, the old and the new, former and latter, okay? And, uh, but it may be better interpret of the preaching of the gospel by John the Baptist and by Christ, former and latter, John the Baptist, then Christ, and or by Christ, and then his apostles, uh, or of the first and second ministration of the apostles, first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles, or the coming of Christ in the flesh, for the same word is used here in the former clause of his spiritual coming in the latter days, which both are compared to reign. And so they weren't looking for material blessings. They were looking for this Messiah. They were looking for um, this salvation. So where they were now, um, they knew that where I, where I am now is going to be greater than where I am now. And so that's, that's the interpretation of the teacher of righteousness. He's going to come in and to lead us and guide us through all truth. So that's why they kept asking John, are you the prophet? Are you Elijah? And the prophet that they mention is in Deuteronomy 18. Um, he said, the scripture says that um, from among you, a prophet is going to be raised. So they thought that John the Baptist was that prophet. Did you remember? They kept asking him, like, are you the one? What's going on here? Right. Yeah. And so this is what they're talking about. Like, this, there's somebody that's going to come and teach us about uh, the word of God and lead us through all truth. And John's like, no, that's not me, for I am the forerunner for the one who was coming. And so that, that right there, that blessed me because I never heard of teacher of the righteousness and it connected to John the Baptist being the forerunner, making way for Jesus Christ. That's the former and the latter reign. That's the blessing that comes from that. So that, that right there, that that's, that blessed me so, so good. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah. 
that that illumination. Like I would have never gotten that unless I kept going. Because when I when I text that to him, when I asked him of that, I read the sources and they didn't really mention it. And I was like, oh, okay. But I kept I kept um, researching. I just kept chewing on it. And then I found the source and I kept reading this because it didn't make sense at first. And then it just clicked. And it was like, remember, greater, you know, lesser, greater, or former, you know, and it just it made sense. The progression of God, of his revelation, the progression, it gets better and better and better. Even though Israel was in a dark moment, even though Israel had dark moments, it actually got better and better and better. Because it got them to Christ, those that accepted him. Okay? All right. Sorry about that, y'all. <laughs> That was good. Oh, last one here. So just the, just the importance of learning your history. Here in this chart here, if you look at, let me see here. If you look, if you look at step one here, it's the gospel period here. In order to understand gospels, you have to go back to the inner testament, which is the the nearer or the yeah, the nearer con context. Then you go to the Old Testament um, books, which is the further context. But like I said, if you don't know the intertestament period, it's, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It just, it just kind of gives you another layer of understanding of the word. And I encourage you all to continue to learn the Old Testament. Because we were discouraged in church to learn about the Old Testament. Oh, that's the old. That was... That happened. That ain't for the church. That's not for us. We need to look at the new. But when you look at the new, when you look at the gospels, and they always have these subscripts, it takes you back to the old. So you gotta know it. You gotta know it. Okay. Learn it. So uh, from there, once you um, get the Old Testament, and then you move from step three. Uh, let me see here. From step two, then you go to step three, which is learning what it. What, how, how did the church interpret the scripture? That's how, when you learn about the church age. Remember, we were talking about all the types of craziness that went on through the church age and how they controlled scripture and wouldn't allow people to own Bibles and all that stuff. Even in the Catholic church now, they, you, you're not allowed to have a Bible. As, as a member, they teach to you what the Bible says. This is how you, you got these churches, how they are now, how the preacher is up here, and they're telling you what the scripture says, even though you have copies, but we don't read them. We want the preacher to tell us what the scriptures say. Yo, you want us to do, you want us to go to seminary and spend millions of dollars on, on learning the scriptures, but you at home. So now you have the ability to learn scripture for yourself. You, you ain't got to rely on me. You ain't got to rely on pastor. You ain't got to rely on nobody but the Holy Spirit. All I'm doing is giving you information and resources to help you study the word. So when you read and study, the, the Holy Spirit has something to work with and to give you the illumination that you need. Okay? Yeah, you got to give them something to work with. It doesn't work as, I'm just going to sit here and let the Holy Spirit tell me. what he, That's what we do. We think it's a mystical thing. And it's just like, no, the Holy Spirit's like, you don't even read. How can I show you what the word says if you don't read it? So you got to give them something to work with. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the process of learning, learning how they interpret it. And then you can get to the application of how, what does it mean for me today? Okay. So that's, um, so here's the last slide here. It says, in our quest and to understand truth and God's word, uh, we must be prayerful in what we come across and open our minds to um, what is out there in scripture. This is an opportunity for us to enlarge our intellectual territory. If Jesus had access, um, let me read this line. If Jesus had access to more than what we have today, uh, we will want to read and learn what Jesus had and know and knew at that time. Okay, so this is this is why the pursuit. This is why we're looking at this stuff because we want to uh, know the mind of Christ. We want to know because we have to remember that Jesus was a man here on earth who had history and who interacted with the people. 
He went to the schools. He learned all the philosophy. He learned this stuff. And it, it, he knew exactly what to say to the people, how to minister to the people, what the word really meant. And so it's important for us to really understand, understand that, okay? There was one more thing I wanted to say about, uh, it just came to me, because we talked about it one time in TLC about uh, literature, and we're talking about Socrates and how Paul quotes Socrates. Um, he was trying to persuade uh, people to believe in God. He, you know, he was like, it is said by your poets, in you and him we live, move, and have our being. And it was addressed to Zeus. It was not addressed to God. And we sing it. In him do we live, move, and have. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't written to God. <laughs> it was written to Zeus, y'all. Yeah, take that out. The delete. <laughs> Just take it out. Yep, he was, trying, he was trying to use it to persuade them. But it didn't work because he thought in his beginning of his ministry, he said, I'll become all things to all men. So that's why he was using a lot of their, their teachings, trying to persuade. That's another pattern of trying to use the world to persuade men, to try to bring them in. The Lord's like, you ain't got to give them gimmicks. Just give them my word. Okay? No, I mean, as far as, far as his approach, because he was learn, he was still learning. So, in, you know, in the beginning of his ministry, he was still teaching the Jews. For he was supposed to be, uh, what, apostle to the Gentiles. He went to the Jews instead in the beginning of his ministry because he had a problem with the Gentiles. So did Paul. I mean, Peter. Peter had a problem. Peter. I was going to call him a name, but that wasn't right. But y'all know. Yeah, he, 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 was, he was a bigot. He was racist, you know, or whatever. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Peter did not accept Paul as apostles. And nah, you ain't walk with him. Yeah, um, the story with the with the pigs and the um, the unclean and the yeah that was with was that with Peter or Paul was that with uh, it was with Peter that was with Peter and so when when the when the um, the Jews began to reject the gospel that's when he started going to the Gentiles yeah mm -hmm. so yeah so. Uh, yeah, so Paul, you know, because he was trying to figure this thing out or whatever. And so when he realized that um, the Gentiles was gravitating and more, the Holy Spirit had to really tell him, like, look, these are my people, too. And I need you to minister to them. I need you to go get them or whatever. So unclean, nothing to do with them. No. <laughs> Yeah, God will get you together. If you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to tell God what I haven't done. Like, Lord's like, yeah, okay. Boom, yeah, okay. So, <laughs> so yeah, so that's, that's, um, that's the importance of knowing history so, you, so, so scripture can make sense and tie in. So, amen. Anybody else with questions or we're good? Notes online. If you have any questions, just, just, Shoot me a message. Just let me know, okay? Um, let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you, oh God, that um, you allowed us to learn in this manner, Father, and that you are continuing to grow our capacity, oh God. Um, we can never exhaust the, the scriptures. We can never get to the, the top level. The, for when we think we're at the top level, you said, let me show you something else. There is no end. We will always be learners of the gospel. I will always be a disciple. I will always position myself to be a learner, God. Uh, for your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not our thoughts. So, God, help us to have your thoughts in every situation that we deal with, oh, God. 
for your word uh, explains and it helps us to deal with situations, oh God, but we just got to learn how to apply it correctly. We need to learn what it meant for them, oh God, so we can so we can know what it means for us. So God, we love you and we bless you. And God, I just pray that you will keep us uh, focused on you. Keep us humble. <laughs> keep us uh, our eyes on you, God. And keep our hearts uh, directed to you, Father. Let our thoughts be your thoughts and let our words be our, our, your words, Father. So God, we lift you up. And we give you all the praise, glory, and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.